You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. While the kids are leaving, if you're not leaving the room, why don't you just continue to pray for a moment? Holy Spirit, we pray that your hand would be upon our children this morning, that your hand would be upon our teachers this morning. That any of our children who are going through anything emotional that they can't name because they're so young, we pray that you would untie that for them today. That you would reach your gentle, nail-scarred hand into their life. And just touch whatever may be ailing them this morning. That they can't say out loud. That they can't tell us about. That they don't have the vocabulary for, the understanding for yet. Pray that you would just put your hand on them and bring healing to their life. I'm going to ask you to remain standing for a few moments. I'm going to read all the texts for today in a moment, but I just want to list five things. This sermon today and the word that the Lord spoke through Shalid and the word that the Lord spoke through Krista said it's time to preach now. And this sermon, I just went back into my office about five minutes ago and wrote this down. The sermon today is for people dealing with five things. And if you're like me, it could, there's five things here. I'm dealing with seven of them. So, one, you feel like in life, every time you heal and grow, it just feels like God turns the temperature up relative to your healing and and you don't feel like you have the the breakthrough that you're looking for because every time you heal every time you feel more stable the fire just seems to turn up on you a little bit and it's like man I every time I advance I feel like so does the enemy and I'm still in the same spot just at a higher level the sermons for you today simply put for anybody here who feels like your absolute most honest true hard work isn't enough to accomplish what you need, your family needs, maybe even what you perceive the Lord needs. At your best, doesn't feel like it's enough. Sermon is for anybody who feels like, honestly, I can't handle one more loss, even a small one. It will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Sermon's for you. For this Number four, I had the image of that thing at an amusement park where you stand in it and the wind blows like all this stuff like cash up in front of you and you're trying to grab as much as you can. For anybody who feels like there's no pattern or rhythm or organization to your life, you're just trying to get the next thing that flies past your face done and even if you get a couple things done, it just feels so chaotic. You don't feel like you're tied into a rhythm or anything organized. It just feels like the best you could do is just Finish the next thing that flies right past your face. The sermon's for you. And for anybody who feels like there's deeply seated issues in you or deeply seated issues in somebody you love, and time seems to just not be giving you what you need to take the time necessary to work on that, and you just feel like, Maybe you and your spouse or you and a child or just you and your own heart. You just feel like I keep just working to get the basic things in life done and hope I don't implode or this relationship doesn't implode or my child doesn't go crazy because I just, by the time I get the basic things done, there's just not enough time to work on deep stuff. The sermons for you this morning. So listen to these texts and then you can be seated. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad 
to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. And now we'll read the gospel today. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, the master said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to go pull the weeds? But the master said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He goes on to say, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather together out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear simply the sound of Jesus and his love for us this morning. In your holy name we pray, and everybody said... Amen. You may be seated this morning. As always, there's so many things to talk about in a parable like this. And so I want to talk through it based on what I'm feeling in my soul today. Not what I researched and read and spent the entire week doing, but what the Lord is telling me now prophetically as I stand here this morning. R. R. Reno, a wonderful theologian on the Old Testament, said this, grace perfects rather than destroys nature. Grace perfects rather than destroys nature. The first thing that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants you to know this morning is that the enemy does sow tares into the field of your life at night. And you wake up and you know something has been sown into my life that isn't right. Sometimes it's just a bad day out of nowhere. Sometimes it's a season and it lasts a little while. And you're just like, I know we've been sowing good seed. I know that we've been doing our best to love neighbor, love ourselves, repent of our sins, come to church, come to the Lord's table, serve, and yet I wake up and it's like, where did this disruption come from? What God wants you to know is that does happen. But he also revealed himself to Jacob in a dream at night when the sun set. And so just because there's an enemy that sows seed into your life at night doesn't mean that there's not a God who's also giving you a vision of exactly the story that says that seed will never grow into what the enemy wanted it to grow into. 
There's always a God who's meeting you at the same moment the enemy is meeting you saying, greater is he who is in you than he who is sowing anything into your life right now. While those enemies come and sow seed, God is showing us a ladder that says, you feel like there's a division between your life and God's life. You feel like there's a division between the, the hereafter and the here. You feel like there's a division between time and eternity. And you feel like you're stuck on the one side just hoping to get to God. Let me say this to you. This story blows my mind for a point that's really not that revelatory, but it's powerful. And that is simply this. So many of us, myself included, chief among you are spending so much of our time trying to get to the right place so that we can meet God and have it be functionally fruitful in our life. So many of us are trying to live the right way, get to the right place, get to the right moment, be aware in that moment so that we can experience God and not miss him. This story of Jacob is the story that says you don't have to get to the right place to meet God. You are the right place for him to meet you. You don't have to try to get someplace. You are the place God's getting to, and nothing can keep him from getting to you. No enemy in the middle of the night. Jacob is running. He doesn't have a home behind him. He doesn't have a home in front of him. He's done wrong. Wrong has been done to him. The sun is setting. He only has this nasty rock to sleep on. And in that place, God says, you're in the exact right place. Well, how can this be the exact right place? Honestly, God, if this is the exact right place, I hope I don't get here again. If this is the right place, I don't want to be in the right place anymore. And God is saying to you, you got it all wrong. You're the right place, wherever you are. You're the right place. He will always meet you in you because you're the right place. The road to Emmaus, they're going the wrong way, but it's the right place because they're the right place. Jesus isn't trying to get them off the road to Emmaus. He's trying to show them that I'm here to meet you whatever road you find yourself on. You might be tired, you might be exhausted, you think you can't handle one more loss, time is taking from you. Here's the thing, first and foremost, put your head on the rock that is Christ. In the middle of the chaos and disruption, in the words of the great theologian, pastor of Salem Tabernacle, chill, chill, stop. Don't try to uproot what you think is wrong because you're going to uproot your own harvest trying to do it. Our anxiety kicks in and we want to uproot what's wrong in our life, in the world, in our neighbor, our spouse, our children. A pastor wants to uproot what is evil in a congregation. Notice I didn't say who. I'm serious about that point, though. We're writing the sermon as we speak right now. Is that okay? The whole point of the parable of the weeds at the end when he talks about the reapers coming and throwing into the lake of fire all causes of sin and all lawbreakers the point of that part of the parable is that when we go to uproot the evil that we think is around us or in us, we think it's the person who's evil. That's why we hate ourselves so much, because we think we're terrible. That's why we can't stand being around people who are spiteful and stuff, because it's like we just need to, up, if we could uproot my coworker, then my job would be a better place to be. If we could just get this kid out of the house, we'll be good. But the whole point of the parable is that God never uproots people. The sons of the evil one that are sown into the field, those are not humanity. Those are the seeds of evil that God sows into humanity. What's going into the lake of fire is not people. It's the causes of sin. 
Do you hear Jesus' surgical words? I will throw into the lake of fire all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Well, here's the irony of that statement. If all the causes of sin are gone, there can't be any lawbreakers. Because sin is... See, what Jesus is doing in your life right now is he's not trying to uproot this false self. He's not trying to change who you are. Remember the man who said, Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, I am legion for we are. We all know that's not the man's name, right? Jesus didn't destroy the man. He sent his fiery love into the man's life to pull out of him that legion so that the man was left whole. That's what his judgment does. If you feel like God has turned up the heat in your life, it is not punishment on you. It is him divorcing from you the things that are sowing tears into you, leaving you whole. That's why we can't do it ourselves, because the enemy sows into my life, the tears he sows into my life, look just like the fruit God wants me to bear, but they're just slightly off. The weeds that were sown into that field is a grass that looks just like the wheat. When we try to get it done ourselves in somebody else's life, we'll uproot the good. In our life, we'll uproot the good. If there's evil in the world that we see, the Romans text talks about creation groaning and, and hoping that humanity would finally realize who they are in the Lord and maybe the chaos, the damage that we're doing to the environment could stop. It's groaning in pain. It's not behavior modification that creation's looking for. It's changed souls, healed people. What God wants for you is not for you to live better, for you to be healed. He doesn't want me spending all of my time trying to be a better pastor, dad, husband, friend. He wants me healed. He doesn't want your coworker to get fired like we might sometimes. He, wants, he doesn't want them to come to work and behave better. He wants them healed. There's a difference. We will settle for a better behavior because it's momentary relief, but God is looking for healing. It's interesting. I got stuck when I was reading this parable of the weeds. I got stuck because on the one hand, I'm like, okay, Jesus is saying, don't jump the gun when you see evil in the world, yourself or others. Don't jump the gun. Don't just jump in and try to take it away. That's what Pharisees do. That's what controlling people do. It's what coercive people do. They jump in right away and they just start to try to pull up the bad and not realize that they're pulling up the harvest too. There's so many people that the church has gotten evil out of and kind of also destroyed their humanity a little bit. So I was like, okay, so I get it, Jesus. You're saying this is for you to sort out. But then I remembered being stuck home in 2020. George Floyd happens. Talking to people on the phone. And somebody said to me, Pastor, this racism thing, it's so hopeless. We just have to wait for Jesus to come and sort it out in the end. And I remember having such a check in my spirit, like, that doesn't sound right. It's so hopeless, we're not going to do anything at all. Boy, so Jesus is saying, you can't do anything, only I can. And then over here, it's like, okay, but you're also, you can't be saying we do nothing. Even if what we can do seems hopeless, the life of Jesus doesn't allow us to just do nothing. So I was stuck, and let me tell you something, Salem. I love preparing for sermons as much as I love preaching them. I really do. I hated this. I was crabby all week, even this morning, right? It's okay. 
And then I looked up a word in the Greek. When the master says, let them grow together. Don't do anything. Let them grow together. It's really funny. that The, the phrase, leave them alone, is a Greek word that means two unbelievably different things. First, it means to divorce. Divorce yourself from doing anything about this. Stand back and wait. But the other meaning of the same word, which I don't understand, maybe my father-in-law can help me, I don't understand the Greek language at all. But the other meaning for the same word is the word that Jesus uses in the Our Father when he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. The word forgive is the same word in this context as the word divorce. So then I have to stand there as a pastor and say, which definition do we think Jesus is using? And the answer the Holy Spirit gave me is look at my son's life and you decide which, which definition he's using. Is he using the definition that says divorce yourself from what's going on? Or is he using the definition that says when you see that evil happening in the world and you are in your neighbor first, cuddle up next to it and forgive it. Let it know I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to wait until the right time to heal you so that I don't pull you up with the evil that's attacking you. So this isn't a parable about action or inaction at all. It's a parable about the kind of love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be called sons and daughters of the King. Notice that verse, that famous verse, 1 John, 2 John, somewhere in there. Behold what manner of love the Father. I'm riffing, Bill. What is it? 1 John chapter 2? My man. Chapter 3, you were, if you're within two chapters at this point, is right. It says, behold what manner, not behold the love, because there's a lot of love in the world, and some of it isn't so good. But behold what manner of love. This kind of love is a kind of love that can suffer evil to the point where evil suffers the good. This is the kind of love that will wear the thorns before he pulls them up out of the ground. This is the kind of love who will get stabbed before he begins to pluck up the people who stab. This is the kind of love who gets taken advantage of before he removes the people who do the taking advantage of. This is the kind of love that suffers and groans and cries and weeps and feels hopeless and trusts that there's a father who has acted, is acting, and will decisively act not to destroy the humanity he died for, but to restore it to its original purpose and beyond. And Jacob, in the dream, saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Not descending and ascending, but starting from earth and going up and coming back to earth. Showing him that in his place of total abandonment, homelessness, the division between heaven and earth is closed, healed, restored in this ladder. This ladder, whatever this ladder means, whatever this thing is that the angels are going up and down on, this ladder, this vision, this metaphor is what is pulling heaven and earth together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in. He doesn't want there to be two places. He doesn't want you to be three different people. He doesn't want you torn in the midst of the questions, am I so broken? Does he love me? Am I disappointing to him or does he love me? He wants to close the gap of those questions so that there's only heaven wrapping itself around earth, making it one like a husband and a wife 
become one in consummation. That's what God is looking for. Well, what is this ladder? What is this metaphor? First John, uh, not first John, John 1. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? A little snippy. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Interestingly enough, he just called Nathanael Jacob. He saw Nathanael coming and said, an Israelite, Jacob. He just called Nathanael Jacob, who fell asleep and had a dream about a ladder. Jacob. Jesus just called Nathanael Jacob, but not just any Jacob. A Jacob in whom there's no deceit. Well, the Jacob we find in the Old Testament has a lot of deceit. He just tricked his blind dad. He's about to trick a father out of two daughters. But Jesus sees Nathanael and says, here comes a Jacob in whom there is no deceit. This dude just criticized where you're from. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me, which is kind of arrogant? An Israelite in whom there's no deceit, how do you know me? How do you know that I'm so perfect? Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. What just happened? Jesus like, remember you were under that fig tree, doing whatever it is you were doing under that fig tree, Nathanael? I saw you. And he's like, you're amazing. You're the guy. I just don't say anything else. Shut the microphone off. Don't say anything. You're the son of God. I love you. Probably Nathaniel was under a fig tree. We'll leave it at that. But also, Jesus is saying, I saw you in the Garden of Eden when you were covering yourselves in fig leaves. I see you, Nathaniel. You're trying to cover yourself. You don't think you're good. You don't think you could handle one more loss. You don't want to come meet another person because you don't want to be disappointed again. You don't think you add up. And the more they tell you that I'm the one Moses was prophesying about, the more your spirit burns to meet me, but the more your flesh doesn't want to be in my presence because you don't think you're good enough to be in my presence. I see you covering yourself in those fig leaves, Nathaniel. You can take them off now. And Nathaniel says, you just summed up my life and history in one sentence. Who are you? You must be the son of God. And listen to what Jesus says next. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God doing what? Ascending and descending on the ladder? No, on the Son of Man. Nathaniel, you're standing in the presence of the one who is both heaven and earth at the same time. I'm your yesterday, I'm your right now, I'm your tomorrow. One day, one of my disciples will call me the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end stated in the present, I am now what was and what is to come. You're standing in my presence. I'm here to close the gap you feel within yourself. I'm here to tell you an enemy has sown tares. There is a fight to fight. But I wore those thorns. I was splintered with them. <laughs> Probably in 2013 or 14, I was working at the Country Children's Center in Katona, New York, and 
I had, was married, praise the Lord, 13 years tomorrow. It's been a lot in 13 years. And I was walking around the playground with this girl, this little girl. She was just taking me all these different places. I probably just was watching the clock for when it was time to go home. Anybody ever been there at work? The more you watch it, the slower that thing seems to go. Work finally ends. Go home. That night, go take a shower. And I always take my wedding ring off when I take a shower. And uh, there was no wedding ring on my finger. This isn't good. Spidey eyes over here right away. It's like, hey, where's your wedding ring? Uh, I, uh, poof. The what? Oh! I don't know where it is. I seem to have taken it off and don't know where I put it. We look all through the car, look all through my job, gone, gone, not there. Listen. Wanna how scared I was? I bought a metal detector. You remember, you were with me, right? And David, maybe? Dave, were you with us that day? Yeah, maybe? We went to the Watson IBM daycare center site. Snow on the ground, cause that's, you know, why not? It snowed that night. I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna flip out. I'm gonna go find it tomorrow. And then it snowed on a Friday night. I'm like, terrific. Lord, you are amazing for the snow and the frozen tundra that is now the mulch on that playground. Up and down. Tearing up the classrooms. Walking around with a metal detector. Guy's like, what are you trying to find, gold? Yeah, I'm also trying not to die, so just let me have the metal detector. Finally, right towards the end, literally right towards the end, doot, 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 doot. reach down, there's the wedding ring, put it on. I have all these stories of me losing stuff. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you guys are going to make it through everything you face as a married couple. Now, here's the thing about a statement like that. That doesn't mean that there's no work to do. It just means that in that moment, God is showing you the kind of work you have to do. And right away, I realized I'm in a playground. And for me and Jacqueline, part of what has helped us through our marital struggles is a spirit of playfulness, rest, and recreation. Let's go for a walk. Let's go get dinner. Let's go get ice cream, usually food. It's the spirit of play, playfulness. And what has kept us together is community. I wasn't there by myself. I had family with me looking for the wedding ring. I had this metal detector in my hand, which immediately I just realized is the word of God and the teachings of the church helping me see what I can't see, what's covered right beneath my feet, what's hidden in plain sight. So it's not just that he will get you through, but he's also telling you the nature of the methods of how he's going to get you through. And this parable of the soil, the weeds, is him saying, it's, you, you, it, I'm not saying don't work. I'm saying the kind, the way that you fight the evil in the world and the evil in you and the evil in your neighbor is not coercive, militant, angry, rebuke, call the person out, Tell them like it is. You know, you ever ever get an email from somebody and they say, hey, I'm the kind of person who tells it like it is, and then you know everything they say is going to be negative? I just speak my mind, pastor, so uh, here comes a big negative tyrant. How come, tirade, tyrant, tirade, same thing. How come anytime somebody says, let me speak my mind, it's never good? What's that say about that person? The only truth you can tell is negative? The only thing you can do is critique. The only thing you can do is point out what's wrong. God wants to heal that. 
not because he wants the wrong you're pointing out to just get away with it, but because the, his method of gardening is not violent, coercive, forceful behavior modification or else. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. But those things don't seem to work. That's why I was stuck. But for some reason, Jesus, with his body pierced, holes in his hands, stripes on his back, marks on his forehead, holes in his feet, ascended to heaven, and is still forgiving, loving, joying, peacing, goodnessing. You, me, our enemies. Why? I'm not healed enough to know why. If I was healed, I wouldn't have to ask why. I would know. The fact that I don't like it is not an indictment against God. It's showing where I need to be healed as a person, as a man. When I don't like the method of God that he forgives everybody, when I don't like the method of God that he feeds his enemies instead of destroy them, God doesn't pull up in tanks. He pulls up in a chair at a table. That's what God does. He puts guns away and takes out plowshares. He doesn't use his mouth to destroy the humanity of other people. He uses it as a tree of life to build up their humanity to his enemies. His enemy was the first one to say, you're the son of God, because it says he saw the way in which Jesus died. Not that Jesus died, how Jesus died. It turned his enemy inside out. A pagan, Gentile, probably Italian, Roman soldier is the first one to get saved out of everybody because he said no one dies like this not no one's got those tanks no one's got those bombs no one's got those guns no one has an army like ours that's not what he said he is part of the greatest military occupying force the world had ever known at the time and he's like oh i've seen his people die that's what we do but the way he just died shows me that that death destroys the need for violence at all. Be gentle with yourself. He's gentle with you. Be gentle with yourself. He's gentle with you. These parables are about the way that God is and the way that God is not. He won't uproot evil if the only way to uproot it is force. He will love it to death. And it will die. And all that will be left is the person it was occupying. Is the heat turned up in your life? It's because he's severing you, not from the you that you've been that he hates He's severing you from the evil that is trying to make you think you're not good enough and that God is mad at you. One last point. The end of Matthew. Judas realizes. You can put up the verses. Judas realizes. You can just scroll through them. Like, wait like three seconds and scroll through them. Judas realizes he made a mistake. The Bible actually says that he changes his mind. And he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. John, I think changing your mind and saying, I've done something wrong, that constitutes repentance, no? Doesn't repentance mean to change your mind? And the priests say to him, see to it yourself. Right there, we see what it looks like when heaven and earth are separated. He runs back and says, I did something wrong. 
and I want to give this money back. And what I, I can name what I did wrong. I betrayed innocent blood. And they say, see to it yourself. The people called by God to be the intermediary between God and man to assure the people they're responsible for of the love, forgiveness, and mercy that is in God, right? This is why I'm excited to be a priest because my job is to help you remember that his answer to all of your confessions is you are forgiven before you even confessed. But this priesthood said, see to it yourself and overcome by the weight of not being reminded of his forgiveness, he killed himself. A man who repented, who came to the people God put in place and said, help me. I've made a mistake. Their response, you handle it. That's one of the lasting images of the four gospel stories because we are called to be a priesthood, amen? We're called to be a priesthood, amen? Which means our job is never to say to people, see to it yourself. Our job is to say, take my arm and let me walk this thing out with you. We will find forgiveness together. We will find repentance together. We'll find the master of the universe together. I know he's around here, so we will do this together. We will find him together. When Ananias and Sapphira, you want to get real deep for a second? Jacqueline told me not to get too deep, but I have to right now. <laughs> when Ananias and Sapphira sinned, they went before Peter, and Peter said, did you steal the property? No, we didn't steal any property. Oh, but you did steal property. Boom, they both die. And you could read that, and I'll let you, that God killed them. Or, or, Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and Jesus who said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, all three times is now standing before two people who've sinned themselves. And instead of offering them the forgiveness that he got himself, withholds it from them. And what happens to them? So maybe it's not God who killed them. Maybe it's unbelievable guilt that destroyed them because the people of God were not reminding them of the love and forgiveness that they themselves received every single day. That's how we weed the field. That's how we cultivate is offering ourselves the world and the people around us the patience, love, kindness, and waitingness. I'm making up words today. Waitingness. There's nothing that motivates me more than when somebody jumps into my life and says, you okay? No, I'm not okay. Well, I'll be here until you're okay. I'll wait it out with you. I won't judge you. I won't call you out. I will just sit here with you until the storm, whatever it is, passes. The storm of what other people are doing to me, the storm of what I'm doing to other people, and the backlash, and the hurt, and the guilt, and the pain. Has anybody felt that before? The pain, it hurts when people do stuff to you. It hurts different when you see the pain you've caused in other people. And it's nice when somebody says, even though you were wrong, I'm still going to sit here and wait it out with you so that healing comes to you and to them. I'm going to be here to help make sure heaven and earth meet in this situation. I'll be a ladder for you, and I'll ascend to the Father and come back to you with a word because we're priesthood. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Salem, God is here for you today. He wants you to know that he loves you. Even if you feel like every step you take forward, the heat turns up 10 degrees hotter. He's with you and he loves you. Even if you feel like your hardest work is not enough, He's with you, and he loves you. Even if you feel like you can't handle another loss, one more thing, I'm done. He loves you, and he's with you. Well, I'm mad at him for this gap of reasoning that seems to exist between his love and the stuff that's happening to me. In that anger, he is with you. And he's not telling you not to be angry. 
Somebody recently said to me this week on the phone, Pastor, I'm so mad at tragedy in the world. I can't believe in the God that you preach about every Sunday. Here's the thing. Pastor, I hope that one day I'm wrong for how, for how I felt about God. And I said, listen, you might be wrong one day, hopefully, for who you think God is. But you will never be wrong for how you felt about him. You will never be wrong for looking at brokenness and saying, God, you could have done a better job. You won't be wrong for that. If he didn't want us to have that emotion, he would have given us an answer a long time ago. Be angry. He's with you in it. feel like your life is just chaotic, flying by you, trying to do as much as you can in a day, no rhyme or reason, just hoping to get it done, fall on the bed, wake up two seconds later. Ever see those silly videos, what it's like to come home? Bang, dee, 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 time to get up again, just like that. Like, okay, here we go again. Days don't feel like days, life just feels like a long day with many naps. He's here for you, though. He knows it. He sees you. He was tired from his journey. He sat down at a well. He asked somebody for a drink. He knows what it's like to say, I thirst. He knows what it's like to say, why have you abandoned me? He knows what it's like to say, I can't go through this anymore. Let this cup pass. He's with you with energy and strength. Listen, we have to get worshipful again outside of church. We need to open up our heart and open up our soul in prayer and tongues and, and, and our prayer language and the gifts of the Spirit to remember that a God who knows what it's like to be thrown on a dusty, broken, splintery piece of wood and say, why have you forsaken me? He's in that traffic jam with you. He's in that job that won't pay you enough with you. He's in those bills that mount up more than the money does. He's with you in those things. He's not leaving you or forsaking you. Well, why is it happening? He will stay with you while you're trying to figure that out. If you feel like you don't have time to deal with the issues of life. It's you're doing all you can to just get, get to bed at night. Deep things? I was supposed to get that oil changed 27,000 miles ago. We want to talk about my emotional health? I can't, I don't have time for it right now. Deep things? We got cobwebs in the corner of every room in our entire house. It's like it is a mansion for these things. Deep things? Buying school clothes in July, and we're supposed to talk about deep things? I don't have time. The one who is timeless is with you in it. There's nothing more encouraging to know than he is with you. We all know it from each other. We all know what it's like to be in a tough situation and then have somebody text you and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. That buoys us up in our, but the master of the universe is saying, I'm with you. Text, text, DM, I'm with you. I'm here. I know you. I know more about your anger than you do. I know more about your pain than you do. I'm under it. It's on my back. I'm taking it somewhere. But where? Somewhere that I has not seen nor ear heard. But when you see it, it will answer every question. Satisfy every pang of anger. Wipe every tear from every eye. And make every enemy a friend. Please check out everything at the information center and on the table that will be outside with the QR codes. There's a lot of announcements. Can't get through them right now. Don't want to get through them right now. Honestly, I want to trust that we're all going to be mature and just look to see what's out there. Is that okay? Can you, can you do that for me so I don't have to take over this moment? Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, boy, like, thank you. 
Close your eyes. On the night when Jesus was betrayed and he went through, what did I do? Was it enough? How did it come to this? This is the end of my work. His relationship with the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit enlivened him to say, no, 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 no. It's exactly what I was called to be. I was called to face this darkness because my people are getting tears sewn into their life and I'm going to go to the darkest darkness that exists, which is death. And I'm going to uproot every single tear that was ever sewn into death. So that no matter where my people fall to, I will be under them. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, spilled for you. And what is going to sustain you as a church for millennia is to come to this table on all the nights where you feel the sun has gone down, on all the nights where you feel betrayed, on all the nights where you feel like all you are is broken pieces of bread in a dish that nobody cares about. Come and sit down and realize in that chaotic brokenness is my healing love and power for you. Everything you're looking for is in this bread. Everything you could need for the task ahead of you this week is in this bread. Everything that you need for the sustaining of your emotional capacity is in this bread. And he will keep feeding us with it until we get it. Holy Spirit, descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Descend on us also. Forgive us of our sins and anoint us for the task of the ministry that you've put in front of us to shine your light into the world and to bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.